How to Play, Episode 17, La Havre. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the How to Play podcast. Here we are, episode 17. It's the beautiful summer. We're enjoying the hot weather, staying inside in the air conditioning here in western New York in the How to Play studios. And today we're going to talk about Le Havre. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this episode was recorded on... I don't have my watch, so i got to check the calendar here on the computer... Uh, It's July 20th, apparently, according to my calendar. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. This show is about learning and teaching games. You're going to hear an explanation for the game Lahav, just as if I was sitting across the table from you and we're about to play the game together. Its intended use is for learning how to play the game yourself or to serve as a model on how to explain the rules of this game or others. If you like it, you want to find more, the podcast's home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com, and all of our discussion takes place at BoardGameGeek at our guild. So if you go to BoardGameGeek, you look for guilds, look for how to play. We've got over 200 members now. Great. I'd love to see us hit 300. So if you're a regular listener, please show me some support and join up today. It's a great place to discuss the show or any other topic about learning or teaching games or just whatever's on your mind. I can be contacted there at the Guild on BoardGameGeek, or if you'd like to contact me directly, my email address is howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. Please consider supporting the show by making a PayPal donation there at my website, howtoplaypodcast.com. In fact, I've got a great reason for you to do so. I've got these beautiful blue How to Play t-shirts that just probably would make you the star of your weekly game night or at any gaming convention. So if, if you make a donation of $20 or more, I'll ship one of those great t-shirts out to you. You'd be doing me a triple service. You'd be helping to pay for the cost of the show. You'd help by letting people know about how to play. And you'd help me get the shirts out of my basement. I have them in extra large and double extra large. So please consider making that donation today. Now let's get to today's game, Lahav. I'm very excited to talk about Lahav. It's one of my new favorite games. In the last few months, I've played it quite a few times. I've really gotten to like it more and more each time I've played it. The designer of this game is Uwe Rosenberg, and his most famous game, of course, is Agricola. And this game has a lot of things in common with Agricola, but personally, I think I like it just a bit better. There's a few more decisions, a little more flexibility in play, and I can just see playing this game an endless amount of times. You can play it, technically, from one to five players. I think the real actual sweet spot with this game is three, and I think four makes a good game as well. But be aware you're in the range of probably two and a half hours to three, three and a half hours. And for the first time you play it, this is going to be a longer game. Which brings me to the complexity rating. This game is a double black diamond. The mechanics of this game are very simple, but succeeding in it is difficult. Now my qualification between a game being a single black diamond and a double black diamond is that you have to play the game a few times in order to play the game well if it's a double black diamond. And Lahav definitely fits in that category. The first time you play it, you're probably going to have a rough go of it just sort of figuring everything out. And there's a shorter game, which I really recommend going for that shorter game, it's about half the time, because that's going to let you figure out really what you're trying to do. And then this, the second time, you get into the full game, and you'll really be able to appreciate what this game is all about. But this is a complex game. It's for gamers only. It's a long game. It's a hard game. Lots of difficult decisions. Double Black Diamond. So the structure for today's show, we'll have a hook, which will introduce the game, we'll get into the meat of the rules, and then a hamster, which is very important in this game, to really give you some basic strategies, some idea of where to go with those multitude of options that you're faced with in this game. I'll have a short musing section at the end, like we usually do, and I thought about talking about honesty in games, and also a little comparison contrast between Lahav and similar games, Agricola, Kalis, and At the Gates of Loyal. As always, this explanation will probably be much easier to follow if you have the game, if you have the pieces right in front of you, if you own the game, that's the best scenario. If not, go on to BoardGameGeek and sort of just look at the board and look at the cards so you have a visual understanding of the things that I'm talking about. 
Part 1. The Hook. What the game is about. Welcome to Le Havre. You are a businessman living in the harbor town in the north of France named Le Havre. You will be collecting money and resources to purchase buildings and ships. The buildings are businesses that you can use or use other players to acquire more resources or to convert basic resources into more valuable resources or to maybe sell your resources. The ships can be used to help you ship your goods to earn money, but the main benefit of ships is that they help you feed your people. Because at the same time you're trying to make as much money as possible, you have to pay an increasing amount of food each turn, which is representative of paying the salaries of the employees of your growing empire. So though you must be sure to have enough food each turn, you have to continually work towards becoming richer, because that's how you win the game. You increase your wealth or get richer by getting resources to buy buildings or by converting your resources into more valuable resources and then selling them to a building who will buy them or shipping them using your ships. At the end of the game, you total up your amassed wealth. All the buildings and ships in this game are each printed on a card and those cards have a value which is shown in a gold coin in the upper left hand corner. And so you're going to total up the value of all those buildings and ships and add that to the amount of money you have at the end of the game. And hopefully you've gotten a lot of money from selling your resources to buildings or shipping your goods on boats. And the player with the largest total wealth will win the game. Part 2. The Meat. How to play the game. So, keep in mind the goal. The goal is to make money by building buildings and ships that are worth money at the end of the game, or to get goods and sell them to make money. So, what does a turn look like? Well, that's the great part. A turn is very simple. You're either going to take a pile of resources, or you're going to bring your worker, which is represented by this wooden disc, and put it in a building and activate that building letting you use that building's ability. That's it. That's the whole game. You're either going to choose to take one pile of resources or put your guy in a building and do what that building lets you do. The problem is, is the difficulty in the many choices. Sometimes you'll have 30 or 40 of these different choices, probably about eight piles in front of you and about 30 different buildings that you could go to. So how do you navigate all that? Well, I'll try to help you with that. First, let's get to some of the more specifics of the turn. Your turn actually starts with what's called a supply phase. The main board has a track of seven circles that the players are going to go down over and over again. On each player's turn, we're going to be putting these boats on this circle track of seven spaces. And when we get to the end space of that track, then the round is over. We're going to play four to 20 rounds, depending on the length of the game you want and the number of players that you have. Below this track of circles, there are seven offer spaces, which are empty boxes that are going to accumulate these cardboard chit resources. There is going to be a pile for each of seven different resources. Franks, which is money, fish, wood, clay, iron, grain, and cattle. And much like in Agricola, if you've played Agricola, these spaces are going to start to pile up with resources until someone decides to take them. But the way that they accumulate is a little bit different. Each circle on the track, the seven space track, has two icons on it. On a player's turn, you're going to put your ship on the next available circle. And on that circle, there are two resources on it. For example, it might have a picture of an iron resource and a picture of a frank. And so you are going to put those resources in those piles. You're going to put one iron down and one frank. And each time a player goes, they're going to add two different resources to those offer spaces. You don't have any choice in this phase. This is just something you have to do to get those piles to accumulate and keeps the supply of the resources flowing. Now it's time for your main action. Now you get to make your choice of what you're going to do. You're usually really only doing one thing on your turn. You're either going to take one of those piles of resources, one of those offers, for example, like all of the wood tokens, which might be three or four wood tokens, or you're going to use a building. To take an offer, all you do is you just take the resources in that pile. That's it. That's your whole turn. You'll move your boat. You'll put the two goods into the piles as indicated on the space that you land on. And then you'll take whichever pile of resources that you choose. If you want to use the building, 
you're still going to put your colored chip on the next available circle. You're going to fill two resources into those piles. And then to use a building, you're going to take your worker piece, which is that wooden disc, and place it on the building you want to use. The buildings are simply cards that are laid out on the table. If you don't own the building, which you won't at the beginning of the game, you'll have to pay what's called an entry fee. The entry fee is in the upper right corner of the card. The entry fee might be some food or some money. Some buildings are free. They don't have any entry fee. And so you're going to put that worker disc on that card, and he's going to stay there until you decide to use another building. This serves two important functions. One, you can't use the same building twice, one after another. You'll have to go to another building before you can go back and use that same building again. But also, it blocks out other players from using that building until you leave, as only one worker can be in a building at a time. In the beginning of the game, the game starts with three starter buildings, which are owned by what's called the town. And if you use those buildings, you have to pay the bank. So there's three buildings there in the town, and as the game goes on throughout the flow of the game, more buildings will be added to that town. Some of them cost one or two food, which is uh, that pot symbol. Later in the game, some of them will cost money, which is the gold coin symbol. The starting buildings that are there, all that they let you do is build the buildings that are now available. Later in the game, you're going to build some of the buildings that are available, and then people will maybe come to the building that you own. And in that case, to enter that building, they're going to have to pay you the entry fee, which is, of course, a good thing. So how does the flow of this game work? Well, in the beginning of the game, for the f first few turns, players mostly will be gathering resources. And the, those resource piles aren't going to stack up very much. They'll probably only get two or three resources. And what they'll be trying to do is trying to get a few food to last them a few turns or to get the resources to build buildings. To build buildings, you need three particular resources, which I'll call building resources, wood, clay, and iron. Now, later in the game, you'll need to upgrade versions of two of those resources. You're going to need your clay upgraded to brick and your iron upgraded to steel to buy the really expensive buildings. But those don't come up until the middle or the end of the game. But the beginning buildings are typically pretty cheap, and the cost of those buildings is shown in icons at both the top and the bottom of the building cards. For example, one of the beginning buildings is the marketplace, which simply costs two wood, or the sawmill, which costs one clay and one iron. So when you build that, you pay the required amount of resources, you take that card from the top of the stack, and you place it in front of you to show that you own that building. So players will just spend a few turns getting resources, and eventually somebody will have enough to buy a building. To buy a building, they're going to have to put their worker into one of those town buildings that lets them build buildings. They'll have to pay the entry fee. Now there's three of them there. The one they'll probably go to first is the one that's free. Later, people have to pay to go the ones that cost food. He or she would pay those resources to the bank, and then they can buy one of the three available buildings. There are three building stacks, and you're allowed to buy any of the buildings that are on top of those stacks. Now, you own a building. Hooray! Having a building is good for three reasons. It's worth money, which is essentially victory points in this game. Also, if you choose to use that building, it's free for you to use. And if opponents choose to use your building, they'll probably have to pay you to use it. Now be aware that other players might block you from using your own building. The next turn, right after you build it, someone might use your building, put their worker in there, and they might stay there for a while. But they're going to have to pay the entry to get in there. So again, that's the mechanics of the turn. You're going to move your ship on the track. You're going to add two tokens to the different piles to keep those stocks building. And then you're going to choose to take one of those piles. Or you're going to choose to use an empty building by moving your worker disk, paying the entry fee, and then activating whatever the ability is there. And players are going to repeat this. Say there's four players. We might have red, blue, purple, green. And then it will be red's turn again. So red will take their ship from the back of the queue and move it onto the fifth space. And then the next person will leapfrog to the sixth place. And then the next person will leapfrog to the seventh space. And after they go, that will mark the end of the round. So be aware that you're going to get a variable number of turns per round. In that example, in the four-player game, you're only going to get two turns per round, and every once in a while, you're only going to get one turn in a round. In a three-player, you're going to get two or three turns per round. So you really need to look at that and think about it in advance. Know that you might only get one turn that round, and you need to make sure that you have enough food to pay the food requirement. So let's talk about that end of the round. 
At the end of the round, some important things happen, and all of which you can see on the round card. There's a stack of round cards there on the right side of the board, and for some of the information, you have to look at the line with the correct number of players. So if you're playing with four, you gotta look in the box that says four players. On the round card, it's gonna tell you what round number it is, which is good to know to see how far along you are in the game. It could be 10 to 20 rounds, depending on the number of players. Then it will tell you if we have a harvest or no harvest. It will tell you how much food each player has to pay, represented by the number in the pot symbol. And then it's possible that the town will build a building, either a regular building or a special building. And then the round card will flip over and a ship will be made available at the harbor to be purchased by a player. Let's go over all those four things. The harvest, the food requirement, the town building a building, and a ship being made available. First, the harvest. If there is a harvest, which is most rounds, all players who have at least one wheat get one more wheat. Each player who has at least two cows gets one more cow. And it's always you just get one more token. It doesn't matter if you have three wheat or seven wheat. You're always just going to get one more wheat as long as you have one wheat. Same thing with the cows. If you have the minimum of two, you will get one more. So you can see it's to your benefit to get those required harvest resources early so you can build up a lot of tokens of wheat and cows throughout the game. Next, the required amount of food. Every round, you're going to have to pay a certain amount of food. And if you don't have that amount of food, it's bad news. In a four-player game, for example, you need to have one food to pay on the first round. And that builds by the end of the game on the 20th round, you need to pay 11 food at the end of the round. So it builds 1, 1, 2, 2, 2, 3, 3, 4, 4. So you're going to have to be building some sort of food engine so that you can meet these growing food requirements. What makes food? Some tokens can easily be used for food, like fish. Fish, as you can see, it has a pot symbol. It has a pot and then it has a one in it. So a fish is worth one food. And then some of the other resources, the wheat and the cattle, if you convert those, you can convert them to bread and meat. You have to use a building to do that. But then those are worth more food, two and three. And later on, you can even you can smoke the fish. So smoked fish is worth more food. But if you don't have any of those, you can also pay money to replace food. I guess you're buying food. So if you need one food, you could just pay one money. If you don't have enough food, what happens? Well, you're going to have to take a loan. And loans have a commonly mistaken rule, which I know from experience because the original version of this podcast had the incorrect rule in it. So here I am a couple years later trying to fix this and making it more accurate. Whenever you need to, you can take a loan. The loan gives you $4 and you can use that then to pay for your food. And there's a little card here that represents that you have a loan. The bad news about that is that you have to pay interest. One of those bases that players are putting their little boats on has the word interest written on it. And whenever any player's boat hits that mark, then anyone who has at least one loan has to pay interest. Interest is one money. Now here's the tricky sort of part, is that no matter how many loans that you have, the interest is only one money. So one possible strategy is not to worry about loans so much and sort of get a bunch of them, and then just hope to be able to pay them back by the end of the game and hope that that flexibility was enough to get you an edge and get you a few extra points. In paying them back, remember they give you four money, you have to pay five money when you pay them back. If you do not, you get minus seven victory points at the end of the game. So you got four money for them, four points, and you're in a seven point penalty, so a net loss of three points. That's the problem with that strategy is it can backfire if you dig yourself too big of a hole. But if you have 12 loans, you still only have to pay one money interest each time that comes around. That is how loans work. So that's paying the food. Everybody pays the amount of food that they have to, either in tokens or money. Then, on some rounds, the town will build a building. It might build a regular building. So if you see an icon of just a building card without an anchor symbol, that's a regular building. The town decides which building it's going to buy by the building number. In the very upper right corner is the building number. They're sort of in relative value of strength. 
And so the town will build whichever of the three stacks has the lowest number. So say, for example, you had the seven, the four, and the two building. The town would build building number two. So they'd just take that from the stack and put it into the town. So now players could use that building, and it uncovers some different buildings for players to buy. On some of the rounds, the town will build one of the special buildings. And this is the only way that the special buildings get into play. You'll note that because it will be a card symbol, but it has an anchor symbol on it. You deal out six for each game. Only five will be built. In this game, there's a, a big stack, I think 30 or so special buildings, and you're only going to play with six each game, which offers a little bit of variety each game. So you're going to have those shuffled up, and just the top one is going to come up and join the town. And these are usually very unique, interesting buildings. Lastly, you take that round card and you flip it over and lo and behold on the back side is a ship and that ship goes into the harbor. There's a little place on the right side of the board for those ships to be stacked up and those top ships can be purchased. So that card goes on top of the pile for that type of ships. In the first rounds there's going to be wood ships and those will start piling up and then later uh, players are going to see iron ships and steel ships, which are a little bit better and worth more points, but harder to build. It's really important that players keep in mind all of these things are going to happen at the end of each round. And to help you do that is the round overview card. Unfortunately, there's only one of them, but players should pass this around just so they're aware of how much food is going to be required each round as you go down the next two or three rounds, as well as when are buildings going to be built, as well as what ships are going to be available. There's a lot of information on that round overview card. In fact, if possible, I'd recommend trying to go on the Geek, get a few extra copies of that, because playing this game strategically, you're really going to have to pay attention to the information on that round overview card. So that's what happens at the end of the round. There's the harvest, people pay their food, a building might be built, and then a ship gets flipped over. It took me a long time to explain, but in real life it takes about 10 seconds. And then the next round begins, and so the player who's in the back of the queue is going to be the beginner for that next round. That player takes his ship from the back of the line, he puts it in the first circle, he adds his two tokens to the board, and then makes his choice, either taking a pile of resources or uses a building. And that's it. That's the flow of the game. So now that you know the flow of the game, let's talk about what these buildings do. And specifically, let's talk about the standard buildings. The game comes with 30 buildings that are used in every game. This game is all about the buildings and getting certain combinations of those buildings. So those 30 standard buildings are set up randomly in three stacks. And then you order those stacks by the building number. Like I said, the number correlates generally to the strength of the building. So you're going to have three stacks going from beginner buildings to really powerful buildings there at the end. And so there are three buildings available for purchase at all times. The top in each stack. But you're also allowed to always look deeper into those stacks and see what's going to come up. In fact, you should spread them out so that everybody can see which buildings are coming up next. And if a player wants to pick them up and sort of fan through them and see what's coming down later down the line, that's probably a good idea as long as he doesn't change that order around. So 30 buildings, that's a lot to learn, isn't it? Well, let me break it down for you. There are four major categories of buildings. A lot of them do kind of the same thing. The four major categories of buildings you're going to see, there are buildings that build more buildings. There are buildings that give you resources. There are buildings that convert resources from one type to another. And there are buildings that give you endgame bonus points. And then there's a few special ones that don't really fit into any category. But first, let's look at those four major categories. We've got the build more buildings buildings. So three of these are the buildings that start the game. You've got two of them that build one building and one of them that builds one or two buildings. The one that builds two buildings costs two food to use. Then early in the game, there's also the sawmill. And the sawmill lets you build buildings and pay one less wood, which is kind of nice. Be aware that the sawmill, like some of the other buildings, doesn't have any entry fee. So you're not going to get any stuff when people use the sawmill, and they're going to go there quite a bit. But the good news is it's worth 14 money. So that's quite a chunk of change for just two resources that you're going to spend on it. These are easily recognizable because the titles are in a green box. Next, there's buildings that give you resources. 
Most of these are very simple. You put your worker disk on them and they give you three tokens or sometimes more. Uh, there's a bunch of them here that just give you three of the same type. There's a couple that give you several different types. Also be aware that some of these buildings have hammer or fisherman symbols that help each other out. For example, the fishery has a fisherman symbol on it, and for each fisherman symbol you have on different buildings, it's going to get you more fish when you go to the fishery, which is kind of neat. So what's here? There is the fishery, which gives you fish. Ironworks gives you iron. The colliery, colliery, I don't know how to pronounce that word, but it, it gives you coal. So why is it spelled C-O-L-L -L instead of C-O-A-L? I don't know. I'll have, to, I'll have to Wikipedia that. And then there's the clay mound, which gives you clay. There's the hardware store, which gives you one of each building material, wood, brick, and iron, which is pretty nice. And the grocery market, which gives you six different food resources. And then there's the marketplace and the black market. The marketplace lets you choose which goods you want. The other nice thing about the marketplace is it lets you look at the special buildings and rearrange the order every time you use it, giving you some control about which special building comes out. The black market gives you a bunch of goods if many of the spaces on the offer spaces are empty. Now, the resource converters. These convert one type of resource into another better resource, or they convert resources into money. Or they might make things into a better resource and give you a money for each resource that you converted. Some of these require energy. Where do you get energy? Some of the tokens you can spend to get energy. Wood gives you one energy, coal gives you three energy, or charcoal or coke, the upgraded versions of those, can give you lots of energy as well. When you use these converters, what I like to try to do is, is make sure you have a pile of those resources to convert. You don't want to go there if you only have two or three of the resource. For example, one of them changes grain into bread. And I like to wait to go there till I have, say, six or eight grains. So I really get a full use out of that turn. Okay, Gwendolyn, do you have anything that you would like to tell my listeners about which buildings that they should take for energy conversion? Do you want to share any strategies about Lahav? Or do you just want to grab the abattoir? Hmm? Come on, this is your chance to be a star. Don't eat it. I get it. You're shy. It's Alright, so some of these don't take any energy to do the conversion. And some of them do. Some, some of them, like the smokehouse, you just have to have one total energy, which you'll usually use just like a wood token. The energy symbol is that light bulb symbol. And a few other ones have a half energy per token you convert, such as the bakehouse or the brickworks. So say, for example, you want to convert six grain, half energy per grain, so you're going to have to pay three energy, and you'll turn six grain. But on the upside, it also converts it into money. So you get your six grain and half a money each, which converts to three money. So that was a pretty good deal for you. You got a whole pile of bread and three bucks. Some of them are unlimited. You can tell that if it, the arrow, we've got the charcoal kiln. It goes from the wood to the charcoal, and there's an arrow in between. If there's no number of how many times you can do that, it's unlimited. But say, for example, the, the smokehouse says six times on the arrow. So that means when you use it, you can only convert six fish. It's important to look at those maximums. So what have we got here for converters? We've got the charcoal kiln, turns wood into charcoal. And the charcoal, for most of these, the conversion is just on the back side. So the wood, you just flip over to the finished good. And the finished goods, uh, the more advanced goods, have different color backgrounds, so you can easily distinguish those. And the bakehouse converts grain to bread. The smokehouse converts fish to smoked fish. Brickworks converts clay to brick. The cokery converts coal to coke. The abattoir, one of my favorites, converts cattle to meat and half a hide for each cattle. Then what do you do with hides? About the only thing you do with hides is you turn the hides into leather. And leather is a valuable resource for shipping. Or there's some buildings that will buy the leather. Now steel. You need steel for the late ships in the game. And steel is very hard to make. There are two converters for steel. There's the business office, which converts any four into one steel or the steel mill, which comes up very late in the game, and it makes you use five energy for each iron you want to turn into steel. And there's also the joinery, which lets you turn wood into money, and the bridge over the Seine, which allows you to, as a last-ditch effort, turn in some of those goods that you have for a small amount of money. Those are your converters. 
Next, we've got four buildings which can be very important, and these are endgame bonus point buildings. Most of these don't become available to very late in the game, but they can be very important. Most of these have a lock symbol on them. The lock symbol means nobody can play their workers into these buildings to get an ability. All these buildings do is you keep them in front of you, and they're going to give you bonus points at the end of the game. The ship symbols have that lock symbol on them as well, because nobody ever can go on your ship and activate it to do anything. First we have the storehouse. Usually the leftover goods you have at the end of the game aren't worth anything. If you have the storehouse, this is going to give you a few amount of points for those leftover goods you have at the end of the game. Next we have the dock, which gives you four bonus money for each ship you have. So obviously if you take that, you, you want to have a lot of ships. Then we've got the town hall and the bank. These rely on the different categories of buildings. Each of the buildings has a different category represented by a black symbol on the top right hand side of the card. The symbols are called craftsman, economic, industrial, and public. One of them looks like a little factory, one of them looks like a little house, one of them looks like a little building, and one of them looks like a little schoolhouse. These are different than the four categories I was talking about, about what the buildings do. These categories aren't really related to what the buildings do. They're just sort of assigned randomly, and the important thing about these these icons on these different buildings is having different categories of these buildings represented by these icons is a way to score bonus points if you have these bonus buildings. But you want to pay attention to those symbols that you get because the town hall and the bank give you bonus points for having two specific types of those buildings. The town hall gives you point, extra bonus points for having craftsmen and public buildings and the bank gives you bonus points for having industrial and economic buildings. These can be big point cards. These could be worth 20 up to even 40 or more points at the end of the game. So pay attention to those two buildings. And finally, we've got the oddballs here. We've got the art center, which gives you four money for every disc that's in your buildings. If you have a lot of buildings, this might be a good one for you. Then we have the local court, which helps you get rid of loans. And late in the game, there's the church. The big thing about the church is it's worth 26 of money but it also has a fun ability to double loaves and fishes. Then there's the two wharfs, one which is available usually in the first third of the game and the other which is available somewhere around the second third of the game. Someone's going to have to build a wharf for players to be able to build ships. It's good to build the wharf yourself because anytime someone uses it, which is probably going to be quite a few times, especially if you build the first one, you're going to get two food. And when you want to build a ship, you don't have to pay that two food. But the downside is if you build that wharf, someone's probably going to go on it right away, and they might not move very soon. So you may not get to build a boat for a few turns there. And last is an important building called the shipping line. This is what people use when they want to get a bunch of their goods and sell them for money. They don't want to be stuck with those goods at the end of the game. So if they have things like leather or steel or coke, they can put them on, the, on their boats and sell them for money. It's a good one to have as players are going to want to use it, and especially if you think you're going to want to use it quite a bit. Keep in mind that in order to ship goods, you're going to need to have a boat, and you're probably going to want to have several. In order to ship, you're going to have to spend three energy per ship that you're going to send off. To know how much the goods are worth, each good has the value printed on it in the lower right-hand corner of the goods token. So those are the standard buildings. Keep in mind, most of them just allow you to take some more resources or convert resources. And don't forget about those big bonus point ones sitting there at the end of the game. Now it's important that we talk a bit more about ships. The main reason that you want to buy ships is because they give you free food each turn. The amount of food you get each turn depends on the number of players, but for example, in a four-player game, a wooden ship, which is the ships that come out early in the game, are going to give you two food every turn. And if you get that pretty early, you might have it for 15 rounds of the game, two times 15, so that ship's going to give you 30 food throughout the game, which is very nice. So it's important to try to get a wood ship as soon as possible. A wooden ship costs five wood and three energy. Now remember, you start the game with one coal, so that will be good to help you build your first ship. When you build a ship, those ships are going to stack up as the round cards come down, and you're going to have to take the top ship card. The later you get in the game, the more points the ship cards will be worth, but as you know, you'll be getting less food from them. 
simply because you'll have them for less rounds. There are also those uh, discs with food pot symbols on them. So once you buy a ship, you can get one of those discs with the food pot symbols on them to remind you how much food that you get. And you can just subtract that from the amount you have to pay each turn. So say, for example, you know the food requirement was four, and you have a ship that gives you two. Now you only have to pay two food for that turn. About a third of the way through the game, iron ships become available. Iron ships cost three iron and three energy. They usually give you about one more food. For example, in a four-player game, iron ships will give you three food each turn. The other thing is as you buy the better ships, they also can ship more goods. Remember that shipping line? You can only ship up to your shipping capacity based on the boats that you have. Wooden ships can ship two goods each. Iron ships can ship three goods. So if you had a wooden ship and an iron ship, when you use the shipping line, you could go sell five goods. Again, just like the converters, when you go shipping, you want to maximize your shipment. So it would be great if you had three boats and then you could maybe send seven or eight goods and sell and get a whole lot of money. But again, the main reason why you get those ships is for the free food that you get. Until really late in the game, when those steel ships and luxury ships are just worth tons and tons of points. In order to build the iron ship or any of the other ships, the steel ship or the luxury ship, if you're the first one there, you have to do what's called modernize the wharf. If you're going to build the first iron ship at a wharf, you're going to have to pay the cost for the iron ship as normal and pay one brick. You put the brick right on the card. There's a little spot for it. And brick, it can be kind of tricky to get. There's only a few places to get it if you get it at the hardware store. Or you're going to have to get clay and then go to the brickworks to make it. So that's going to slow you down from getting those iron and steel ships. Don't forget, if you're the first one to build an iron ship, you need to use that modernization and spend one brick. Once the brick is there, it stays there on the wharf, and now whoever else uses it can build iron or steel ships and not have to pay the brick. So after this iron comes the steel ships. Steel ships require two steel and three energy. They provide more food, and they ship more. They can ship four goods each, and they're usually worth quite a few points, like 10 to 24 points. But steel is very expensive and slow to get. It's going to take a lot of token placements. You're either only going to get one at a time, or you're going to have to have lots of energy in order to make that steel. And finally, last few turns, luxury liners become available, which require three steel and three energy. And all they do is get you a bucket load of points, 30, 34, and 38 points. Whenever I refer to points, money is essentially points. When something has a value of money, that is essentially victory points. And also know that the money that you have will be worth points at the end of the game. So when you're spending that money, you're essentially spending victory points. So those are the ships. You want to build them really for three reasons. And why you want to build them probably more depends on the stage of the game. In the beginning of the game, they're great to get because of the food you get each round. In the middle of the game, they're also useful to use that shipping line to sell some of your goods. And very late in the game, you want to get some, maybe one of those really expensive ones for the large amount of points they're worth for building. So what can you do on your turn? You remember? You move your little wooden ship, you add two tokens to the board, and then you either take a pile or use a building, and that's your turn, right? Well, not really. I kind of lied. There are a couple other things you can do on your turn, but most turns you don't. It follows that simple formula. There are these things called special actions, and so let's talk about those special actions that, that you can do on your turn in addition to either taking that pile of resources or using a building. You can buy buildings, which is different than building buildings. You can sell buildings, and you can repay your loans in addition to the normal action you do on your turn. You can buy buildings, which is different than building. You can always buy buildings, either the top three that are available or any of the buildings in the town, if you have the amount of money required. Understand that this is the only way that people can own buildings from the town. You can't build buildings that have been built by the town. You have to buy them. Now usually, you want to build buildings because that gives you points. If you buy buildings, you're essentially buying something for 8 money, which is worth 8 money, which is 8 victory points, so you're not getting really any gain in victory points. But there are reasons that you want to buy buildings. Here's why. You might want to use it, or you might think that others might want to use that quite a bit, and so you'll get the entry fee each time, or won't have to pay the entry fee. 
you might be trying to collect symbols, either the hammer or the fisherman symbols, or those four different types of buildings that we talked about, because you're trying to get that town hall or the bank, and you're trying to get as many of the specific symbols as you can. A tricky reason you might want to buy a building is because whenever you buy a building, the worker comes off and goes back to the player. If there's a building you really want, then buying a building is one way to get there. One thing to keep in mind about buying buildings is that some of the buildings, specifically the ones that give you bonus points at the end of the game, and the ships have a cost that's higher than their value. If you look under the coin, some of them say cost. For example, the bank has a value of 16, but if you want to buy it, it has a cost of 40. And the reason that they have those really inflated costs is that the game's trying to encourage you to build them rather than buy them. There are a few buildings that can only be bought with money, and you can't use any resources to build them. For example, the standard buildings, the clay mound, and the black market. So that's buying buildings. Really try to keep track of the difference between buying buildings and building buildings. Next, selling buildings. So you're going to be accumulating a few buildings in front of you, and you are able to sell the buildings that you own for half the value. When you sell them, the buildings go back to the town, so another player could then purchase them or use them. So for example, if you have the sawmill, it has a value of 14. If you're in desperate straits, you could sell it to get seven money. Now you're essentially losing seven victory points by doing that. Why would you want to do that? Well, maybe you really need to be able to pay the food for a turn and you don't want to take a loan. This is not required. You don't have to sell your buildings to pay your food, but it is an option if you don't want to take a loan. You might desperately need money for an entry fee to get into a building, so you could sell one of your buildings in order to get a few money. Or if there's a building you really want and you want to buy it, maybe you're going to sell one of your buildings so that you can buy that one before anybody else gets a chance to. And the last reason is, is to get the worker off of that building. Just like buying, if you sell one of your buildings, the worker comes off the building. It's kind of a neat trick. Whenever someone buys or sells a building, the worker gets kicked off. So this buying or selling of buildings, you can do that before or after your main action. And this is useful because you might want to buy a building with money so that you can use it on your turn as your main action, and then you wouldn't have to pay the entry fee. Or maybe you want to sell a building so that you have the entry fee to go into somebody else's building as your main action. You can repay loans anytime, even if it's not your turn. And you can pay them, say someone puts their boat on the interest spot, right before you have to pay interest, you can pay off that loan if you have the money. Now on most turns, you won't use any of those actions. You'll just do the standard supply and then your main action, and that will be it. But there are times when it's very useful to use that action, especially if one of those buildings comes up that you can only buy, like the black market. So don't forget about them. All right, so let's review actually how a turn works with all the possible steps. You move your boat. You add two tokens, as indicated on that circle, to two different offer piles. Then you can take one of those offer piles or move your worker disc to a building and activate it. Then, before or after your main action, you can choose to buy or sell a building, and if you have loans, you can pay them at any time. And that's it. Really. I'm not lying this time. And the game continues in this way. You're going to move down that track, get to the end, do the end of round actions, such as harvest, pay your food, a building might come up, and then you start the round over again. And you do 4 to 20 rounds, and after the last round, you get one final action. And this is very nice because it allows you to really maximize your victory points. Everybody in turn order gets to do one building action that will score them the most points. And for this last turn only, workers can't block you. So if everybody wants to use the same building, they're able to do that. Usually for this final action, players have been building up either to build a really big boat like a luxury liner, or to build an expensive building like the church, or to ship their goods using the shipping lines, or to perhaps convert a bunch of resources into money. And after that last final action, everybody has gone to their one building, the game's over. You count the value of your buildings, your ships, any bonuses you get from those special endgame bonus buildings, such as the town hall, and all the money you've accumulated. And that's your score. And the player with the most money is the winner of the game. Part 3. The Hamster. How to win the game. The beautiful thing about Lahav 
is the mechanics are very simple, but the decision making is very complex. To win this game, you need to manage your food requirements so that you can focus on gaining the most amount of money. Let's talk about the paths in which to do those two things. Manage your food and make money. First, managing food. This has to be your first priority in the beginning of this game. So let's think about what are some ways you can go about doing that. Let's start with the most obvious way, to get a ship. You're going to have to acquire at least one or two ships in this game to help you meet your food requirement. And you may want to try to get three or more. You want ships because they provide food for you every turn, and that's less of your turns you have to waste towards taking food tokens or producing food. Now ideally, you want a wood ship as early as possible, perhaps even two. So you're going to want to store up five wood for when one of those wharves becomes available. And you already have the three energy. You get that coal with the starting stock, and that's good to use for your first ship. If you can get a ship within the first seven or eight turns, that's great but you want to have at least one probably by the first half of the game. Now you may not be able to get a ship as early as you want to. Maybe that wharf doesn't get built, or maybe somebody gets to the wharf before you, so you need to have some backup plans to make food. One backup plan is to build buildings that other people are going to want to use, and they'll have to give you food, such as the wharf or the abattoir, and those are worth a decent amount of points as well. Also, Try to get at least one, if not both of the harvest items, the two cattle or the one grain, in the first few turns of the game. This can add up to 10 or 15 free tokens for each of those categories. And if you're starting collecting those harvests, you want to build up till you have a good amount and then use them. But don't burn all of your tokens so that you keep collecting those harvests until the very end of the game. Similar to Agricola, you want to choose sort of one food direction other than ships for you to focus on. There's three major directions that you could look at. You could focus on the cattle or the grain or the fish and then get the items for that route. For example, if you decide to focus on grain, you're going to want to try to build the bakehouse so that you have access to it. And then if there's special buildings that let you sell bread or grain, you're going to want to acquire those as well. So in the early game, you're going to want to get one or multiple boats, get buildings that people want to use, get one or both of the harvest items, and choose a secondary way to get food. But at the same time in the early game, you want to acquire some of those building resources, wood, clay, and iron as well, so that you can build some of the buildings to score a few points and allow you some buildings that you can go to for free. So by the mid-game, the goal is to have enough food so that you have a few turns of breathing room where you can focus on scoring more points, meaning making money. Think about how you're going to do that. There's a few different routes to making money in this game. Let me talk about four of them. First, the shipmaster. You can focus on getting a lot of ships. The positive thing about this is this is probably going to take care of your food as well. And then you really want to try to get that dock to go along with your four or more ships to give you a ton of points at the end of the game. Next is the merchant, trying to get points by shipping. You're going to need to have boats with which you can ship with, at least two or three, and it's good for you to own the shipping line. You'll also have to try to produce some valuable resources to sell, maybe cattle or bread or coal or leather or coke or steel. Next, the specialist. We didn't get a chance to talk about those special buildings, but there's a lot of them that allow you to sell resources for large amounts of money. So once you see those special buildings that flip over, you can decide to really build towards using that building multiple times. For example, the patisserie. The patisserie allows you to sell a grain and a bread for five points three times. So if you use that, that's going to give you 15 money, which is a good chunk of change. If you build up towards getting grain and baking it and using that multiple times, you could use that for 30 money over two turns. Finally, the building owner. This strategy involves accumulating lots of buildings. In order to pull this off, in the mid-game, you're going to have to get some money using special buildings or the shipping lines so that you can buy lots of buildings from the town. You're going to want to focus on buying the buildings that you or other players might want to use to save you money and make them pay. And you especially want to consider working towards one of those bonus point buildings, such as the town hall. Buildings that could score you 30 or 40 points all by themselves if you focus on buildings with the category of those particular types. So those are four major ways to try to win the game. Building ships, shipping goods, using the special buildings, and building or buying lots of buildings, and getting those bonus victory point buildings.
Now the great thing about this game is you realistically won't be able to do just one of those things to try to score points. You're probably going to have to do a combination of two or three of those different strategies. And you can't really plan out which strategy you're going to use going into the game. You have to adapt to the strategies in the play of your opponents. Which strategy should you use? Well, loyal How to Play fans by now should know that the answer is in the official How to Play Swiss Army Knife strategy. You guys should know this by now. Do what the other players aren't doing. This game is also a lot about being efficient, maximizing the amount of resources and the gain in money that you can achieve with each turn. In fact, by the end, a lot of times you can simply count out, okay, this one move can result in a gain of 15 money for me, or over the next two turns I could get the resources to build a ship, which is worth 24 money, and if you divide that out, I guess that's going to give me 12 money per turn, so why don't I do that action that's going to give me 15 money? and maybe build the ship later. A lot of times, especially in the early and mid game, it's not as easy to calculate how many points you get per move. And it can be really agonizing determining what is your best possible move. But for me, this is the reason why I love games, and in particular, this game of Lahav. The agony is the ecstasy. It's challenging and a lot of fun to attempt to become the victor in this great game, Lahav. Part 4. Footnotes and Musings So first of all, the vegetables, any little things that I might have missed. One thing that's good to know is you, you can always use money to use as food, but you can't use food to use as money. So say for example, you can't use 8 food to buy a building, or use 2 food as an entry fee to, some, to a building that requires 2 money. You cannot sell a building and then buy it on the same turn. If you sell a building, you have to wait till next turn to buy it. One reason you might try to do that is if you're trying to kick somebody off the building, but then you want to make sure that you still own the building. Buildings can't be sold to other players. There's no trading of, of resources or anything like that. Rounding in this game. A lot of times you get half per something that you do. It's important to know that you always round to the player's disadvantage. Isn't that Rosenberg a mean guy? So if you convert three resources, you, you get half gold for each. You would get one and a half money. There's no way to get half a money, so you only get one money. Whereas the energy, it's just the opposite. If you're converting three and you need half an energy for each, you're going to require one and a half energy, so you're actually going to have to pay two energy. That's not very nice, is it? When you convert, try to have even numbers. <laughs> it just works out better for everybody. There's no token limit if you run out of something, which I've never had an issue with. There seems to be a billion tokens. Um, there are little symbols that you can use that says five of something. Don't forget about selling or buying buildings. That's something that's really easy to do. You get in the habit of just using a building or taking tokens. And buying those buildings can, can be a really good way to get points. Or selling buildings can get you out of a tough spot. You can only take loans when you have to pay food and you don't have enough. You can't just take a loan because you want to, say because maybe you want to buy a building or you want to enter somebody's building but you don't have enough money. You can only take loans when you're short of food or you don't have enough to pay the interest. You can only take building actions on the last turn. You can't take supply actions, which means if there's a big pile of money there um, on, on that final action and nobody's taken it, you're just out of luck, so keep that in mind. And there's no tiebreaker in this game. If, if it happens to be a tie, there's a multiple winners. Yippee! In order to put your worker on a building, you have to actually be able to do it, or you have to actually do what it says. You can't just go to a place to block somebody. Uh, a couple other important notes is that brick resources may always be used as clay. So if you upgrade that clay to brick and then you want to use it as clay, you still are allowed to use it like that. Same thing with the iron and steel, although I think you'd be a doofus to use your steel for iron. If it became desperate, you could do that. The other footnote that actually I just learned about the fourth or fifth time I played this game is normally when I had been setting out those circles, I had just been shuffling them and setting them out face up to begin the game. Actually, the way the rules state it is in the first round, you begin the game with all the tokens face down. And as players play those first turns, it's revealed what symbols are coming up. I know one mistake a friend of mine made was he thought that those got shuffled up and 
mixed up after every round. <coughs> Excuse me. After that first round, it won't be a secret the order of those, and those orders will remain static for the rest of the game. But for that first round, it's kind of a surprise where the order of those icons is going to lay. Last thing I want to mention is in, in editing this, I realized I called money dollars about a million times. I realized that they're francs, so whenever I talk about money and call them dollars, uh, I mean francs. So please forgive those mistakes. I hope those parts were clear enough. I think that just about covers it. The game provides rules for a short game. I would recommend the short game, like I said earlier, is really a good way to learn the game. After you have tried the shortened version, go ahead with the full game. I think you're really going to miss a lot of the experience if after everyone knows the game, you play the short game. What the short game changes is it uses only about half or two-thirds the amount of rounds, which actually cuts out some of the most difficult decision-making there at the end. And also, at that point, a player could really be out of the game. A new player could because they've taken too many loans or they're just simply behind in buildings and resources from making some bad decisions. So using that short game to learn the game is probably a good idea. There's also rules for a solo game, which can be a good way to learn the game as well as just to play it through yourself. And it's actually probably more challenging than you would think and makes for a pretty good solo game, so give that a try. I'd really recommend that you stay away from the five-player game until you have a set of five players who really know what they're doing because the game's going to get really long and there will be a decent amount of non-interaction can frankly just get a bit boring, I think. So I would just in general try to stay away from the five-player. In fact, it states in the rules that the five-player game is only for experienced players of the game. There is an expansion to the game, and just so you're aware of what it is, it's just a small deck of cards. I think it's about six or seven bucks. All that comes in that expansion is more special cards, and you only use six of those each game. So it doesn't really change the main game very much. It just adds a little bit of variety to the game. It's not really a must-buy, but if you're going to play this a lot, uh, then it'll add a little bit more variety to the game, so consider picking up that expansion. Two short topics in today's musings. I'm going to talk about honesty and compare Lahab to some similar games. First of all, let's talk about honesty in board games. I think a lot about games like this where you're manipulating a lot of little pieces in your own little area of the board. I think about this game and uh, another game in particular, Through the Ages, where people are just sort of you know, playing in their own little world. And sometimes I worry about that if a player really wanted to cheat in a game like this because there's so many tokens and so much going on, they could easily do so, and no one could really see what was going on. In fact, some of those tokens that you could, you could flip over, and you know, if you did it a lot, someone would catch you. But if you really wanted to cheat in this game, it'd be very easy to get away with it. And so I think about when, when I play games, it's very important to me with the players that I play with to have a sense of trust with those players. I want to know that when I'm not looking, these players are going to play within the context of the rules as much as possible. And that's the great thing about the group that I'm in is, you know, you develop relationships and, and you really have a sense of trust with those people. Have you ever played a game where you just haven't trusted someone? Enough questionable things have happened that you just don't feel in your heart that you know that they're going to follow the rules. That's just a terrible game experience because then I feel like not only do I have to focus on my own game and play my own game, I also have to watch you because I don't trust that you're following the rules. Not because you don't know the rules, but because you're trying to cheat. Those can be some of the worst experiences. I remember playing in particular one game with of Age of Empires. And in Age of Empires, you get five actions per turn. And then later in the game, you'll get six or seven or eight, depending on how many of these guys you've accumulated. Well, after a couple of turns, notice this one player, who shall remain nameless, was having a ridiculous amount of guys each turn. They were having nine or ten guys turn after turn. And then I ended up having to count and see how many guys they had, and lo and behold, he had two too many guys in his box, and I, I called him out on it. And then a turn or two later, the same thing happened. What, what is the point? Who, who are you trying to outdo here? 
Is this really so important to you that you win this game on a Saturday afternoon with a couple of people from your game group? Is that really going to make you feel that much better about yourself? It's fun to see this. I see this behavior as well in in children. And in children, it's, it's pretty easy to trace uh, some of the motives behind this behavior. A lot of times, it's the kid who just, he doesn't have the ability. Actually, I've, I've seen it both ways. I've seen it two different ways. I've seen it in kids that simply don't have the ability. Either, you know, they struggle with some of the, the logical thinking in the game, or they struggle developing the strategy for the game, so they try to compensate for that by not following the rules. But I've also seen it with people who know what the rules are, and they figure out, well, if I just, you know, take a couple extra tokens, you know, I can win this game. Or if I just peek at this when someone isn't looking, then this game will be pretty easy. Then I will get to win this game. And it's interesting to see some of the same sort of behavior in grown adults doing some of the same things that eight-year-olds do. I think it's so important to have a group of people that you can really trust when you play board games. And really, it's just amazing to me when you, when you go to a game night and you have people who are willing to cheat to win the board game. That, that's just fascinating to me. Finally, let's compare Lahav to some other similar games. Lahav has been called part of a trilogy associated with two other games by the same designer, Agricola, and another lesser-known and lesser-regarded game, At the Gates of Luoyang. It's also often compared to a game which the designer himself has openly credited as a large inspiration for, the, for these games, which is Kalis. So which of these games are the best? I really like Lahav. And of those three Rosenberg games, Lahav, Agricola, and At the Gates of Luoyang, I really think Lahav is for sure going to be my favorite. The reason is, is I think that the rules of Lahav are the most elegant of the three. But Lahav is still really difficult in order to make those decisions. I love the simplicity of the turn, the flexibility of how the game will play out, and just the combinations of the different buildings, including those different special buildings that come out every time. If you think about Agricola, one of the things I don't like about Agricola is those 14 special cards that each individual gets. It's kind of fun because each player gets to play with those combinations of cards, but one of the things that I don't like is that each player then has different capabilities within the game. Whereas in Lahav, everything is public, everything is out there available to everybody, which I think in a sense makes it a more fair game. And you still get that variety in the sense of the special buildings. It's not as much variety, I think, as you, you would get in Agricola, but it changes each game just enough to make it interesting. And what makes Lahav interesting is what makes Kalis interesting. There's hardly any variation in the setup and the gameplay in Kalis and how it comes out. The only thing that makes it different is the play of the players each time. And that's the same thing that you see in Lahav. What makes the variety of Lahav is how the players decide to play the game. Sometimes I feel like in Agricola, there's only a, a few different routes for which to go through. And my end goals are always the same. I always want to make more people. I always want to feed my people. And I always want to try to score these victory points. And the routes with which to do that are not, I don't think, quite as innumerable as they are in Lahav. So of those two games, I prefer Lahav, but I really enjoy both. At the Gates of Luoyang, I got to play this just once. And again, it's interesting how it feels like a lot the same game, but still very different. At the Gates of Luoyang is a game about acquiring vegetables and then being able to sell those vegetables to earn money to get points. Like Agricola and Lahav, it does kind of feel like you're sort of doing your own thing and all the other players are doing are eliminating some of the possible options for you and so you have to work with the options that you have. The one thing I'm not sure I care for in the At the Gates of Luoyang is the victory point mechanism. How the victory point mechanism works is at the end of each turn you have a little dude on a track and you can pay a certain amount of money to move him as many squares as you want. The further you move up the track, the more expensive moving spots gets. It's kind of the neatest mechanic in, in the whole game, 
but also I'm not sure if it really works because what ends up happening is it just sort of tends to flatline in that all the players, if you get a slight advantage, it's just not enough because the way that victory point track is set up. You really have to really outperform the other players to get enough money to get ahead of them. Otherwise, the game just stays too close. I'll have to play the game a few more times, but that's my initial impression of the game at the gates of Luoyang. And as far as Kalis or Lahav, I really love both of them. Lahav feels like it has a little bit more thematic integration, which is interesting. How the buildings work tied into the mechanics of the game is, is really great. But as far as a great strategic deep game, uh, I won't ever turn down a game of Kalis. So Lahav is sort of new to me, and we'll have to see how it plays out down the years. But I believe all of these three games, Lahav, Kalis, and Agricola, are all great games and offer a different, unique experience. At the Gates of Luoyang, not really sure about. I'll have to give that one one more try. And with that, I think I'll wrap this up for today. My water glass is empty, my throat is parched, and my daughter is crying upstairs. So I think I should maybe go up there and, uh, and give mom a hand. It's been a while since I've given you the choice of the next episode. So I think that I will do that. If you want to participate in that, I'm going to put a survey up there at the guild with not so many choices this time. I'll probably pick three to five games that I'm thinking of doing for not the next episode, but two episodes down the road. That'll give some time for voting. I'll open up voting for two weeks for you to vote on which of those particular game selections you most want to see for episode number 19. The choice is yours. So go on there and vote for your favorite. Don't forget that I have those t-shirts available, so consider donating to the show if you enjoyed it. It's a great way to show your appreciation for the work that goes into this show. I'll be back in a few weeks with probably a lighter game there for episode 18. I've got it picked out, but you'll have to tune in to see what it is. I hope you enjoyed this. Dig into Lahav a bit, because it really is a great game that deserves a lot of plays. Thank you so much for listening. I hope until next time, you'll learn, teach, and play some great games. This has been Ryan Sturm for the How to Play Podcast. One, two, three, four. This has been Ryan Stern for the How to Play Podcast. How to Play is written, recorded, edited, produced, promoted, and financed by Ryan Stern. How to Play is a one-man, independent podcast not affiliated with any game vendor or game company. If you like How to Play Podcast, I count on you to support it. You can help out by joining and participating in the guild, donating financially to the show, writing reviews or rating the show on iTunes, help talk up the show in your game group or on the forums at BoardGameGeek, and even just thumb announcements of new episodes. We have no contests, no gimmicks, no advertisements, no plugs to game websites or companies. All of the show's content is free of all buys, save for one, my own, and that is due to your own continuing support. Please consider supporting the show in some way today. I love to hear feedback from you, and I can be contacted through our discussion forum on the Guild at BoardGameGeek, or I can be emailed at howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. This podcast's home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Thanks again, everybody, and until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games.